Hello, everyone. I'm Gary Urbanowitz, your host for this Throwback FDNY podcast. Each show has three segments going back in time about the FDNY and its history. You can listen to all of the past episodes by going to the website of the New York City Fire Museum at nycfiremuseum.org slash throwback FDNY and choosing the digital platform you use for listening to podcasts. Now, let's start this month's show. In this episode of Throwback FDNY, in 1868, Minthorne Tompkins is the first member of the FDNY to receive a Medal for Valor. In 1889, Hugh Bonner is made Chief of Department, and a medal is named in his honor. And a fire in 1975 causes over 260 firefighters to call in sick the next day. On November 14, 1868, around 11.45 p.m., fire was discovered in the first floor kitchen of the Stewart House, a hotel and restaurant located at 480 Broadway. Upon arrival, firefighters were advised that numerous people were trapped in the building. Assistant Foreman Minthorne Tompkins of Hook and Ladder Company 1 climbed the ladder to an upper floor where he was met by heavy smoke. Hearing a woman's screams above him, he stood on the top rung of the ladder with no support other than pressing his body against the building. He instructed her to ease her way out of the window and down to him, legs first. Grabbing her legs, he supported her weight above him, gradually taking her onto his shoulders, and they made their way slowly down the ladder. After this dramatic rescue, he led his men back into the building to search for more victims, who were all brought to safety. On April 13, 1869, newspaper publisher James Gordon Bennett endowed a medal to be awarded to members of the department who, in the view of the commissioners, exhibited acts of valor. The newly formed Board of Merit determined that Minthorne Tompkins would be the first to receive the award for his actions at the Stewart House fire. The James Gordon Bennett Medal was awarded every year since, until 2021, when it was renamed the Peter J. Gancy Jr. Medal in memory of the Chief of Department killed on September 11, 2001. Minthorne Tompkins was born in 1841 in White Plains, New York. In 1862, as a clerk in New York City, he became a member of Old Liberty Hook and Ladder Company 16 in the Volunteer FDNY and was hired as one of the members of the Paid Department. On April 20, 1883, while foreman of Hook and Ladder Company 11, he sustained an injury resulting in his disability retirement after 21 years of service. He and his wife Ellen moved to her hometown of Mystic, Connecticut, where he helped organize Mystic Hook and Ladder Company 1 and served as its foreman. The company still has his portrait and other artifacts on display in their quarters. As it turns out, Minthorne had a rather interesting pedigree. He is the namesake of his second cousin, who ran unsuccessfully for governor of New York State in 1852. His granduncle, Daniel Tompkins, did serve as governor of New York and as vice president of the United States under President James Monroe. Another granduncle, Caleb Tompkins, was a member of the House of Representatives. Minthorne dabbled into politics in his retirement, becoming a member of the Connecticut General Assembly. Tompkinsville in Staten Island and Tompkins Cove in Rockland County are named for this famous New York family. Over the years, the number of medals recognizing heroic actions by members of the FDNY has grown. They are awarded at an annual Medal Day ceremony in June, the highlight of the FDNY calendar. 
Hello, everyone. I'm Jennifer Brown, the new executive director of the New York City Fire Museum. Thank you for listening to our Throwback FDNY podcast. We invite you to become a member of our wonderful cultural institution in Lower Manhattan. We preserve the history of the fire department in New York City, educate the public on fire and life safety, and celebrate the wonderful traditions of the FDNY. To learn more about our membership program and the perks it offers, go to nycfiremuseum.org. Hugh Bonner was born in Ireland and came to the United States while still a boy. When he came of age, he joined one of the volunteer companies, Lady Washington Engine 40, quickly becoming its foreman. When the paid department was organized in 1865, he was accepted for employment and carried over his rank of foreman, now in Engine Company 20. He rose through the ranks, becoming a battalion chief in charge of Battalion 2 in 1873, second assistant chief in 1883, first assistant chief in 1884, and was made chief of department in 1889. Here's a bit of interesting history. Chief Bonner had a curious habit. He kept an unlit cigar in his mouth while combating a blaze and wouldn't light it until declaring the fire under control. Bonner served as chief of department until 1899, when he was replaced by Chief Edward Croker. It was believed that Croker's appointment was a political one, based on his relationship to his uncle, Richard Croker, head of the Tammany Hall political machine. Bonner retired and was intent on upgrading the department's school of instruction into a fire college, which he hoped to head. Unfortunately, his dream did not come to fruition until 1911, three years after he died. The chief was a prolific inventor. He is credited with developing a battering ram, a wall cutter, a tin roof cutter, the hose hoist, cellar and subcellar nozzles. In fact, the Bonner distributor, one of the cellar nozzles, was modified by a company in Texas and is used to this day for cleaning steel tanks. In 1898, the United States took possession of the Philippines after its victory against Spain. In 1902, President Theodore Roosevelt tapped Bonner to become chief of the Manila Fire Department. Bonner spent two years in that island nation organizing its fire service. Reverend James LeBaron Johnson, who later became one of the first two FDNY chaplains, endowed a medal in the name of Chief Bonner in 1897. In his endowment, Reverend Johnson referred to Bonner as, quote, a stalwart chief of department who preferred to rule by example. The Bonner Medal is still awarded annually. Not long after his return to the United States, he was called into the service of the FDNY once again, this time as Deputy Commissioner, and was appointed Commissioner in 1908. Unfortunately, Commissioner Bonner died of pneumonia only four months later. Perhaps his final act as Commissioner was to replace the aged, rotten hoses throughout the department, which were believed to have contributed to the fatalities of two firefighters and one fire patrolman at the Parker Building fire that year. As you can see from his accomplishments, Hugh Bonner has an enduring legacy in the fire department of the city of New York. The New York City Fire Museum shop offers a wide selection of museum souvenirs and FDNY licensed products. To acknowledge the 20th anniversary of the tragic events of September 11, 2001, and the 343 members of the FDNY who gave their lives that day, we are offering several commemorative items, including a Maltese cross decal and lapel pin, a 9-11 Memorial Challenge coin, and a beautiful, high-quality 343 t-shirt. Proceeds from all sales help fulfill our mission to preserve, educate, and celebrate, and to remember the brave men and women of the FDNY 
not just on September 11th, but every day. You can make purchases at the museum or online by visiting our website, www.nycfiremuseum.org forward slash shop. Today, we are painfully aware of the long-term health impacts from exposure to the toxic gases that were given off at the World Trade Center site after the attacks of September 11, 2001. At this point, the number of members of the FDNY that have succumbed to illnesses identified as being connected to their exposure has claimed almost as many lives as were taken from us on that dreadful day. While the FDNY experienced a fire on February 27, 1975, that laid the groundwork for what would become the World Trade Center Health Monitoring Program, having had similar consequences for the firefighters that responded on that day 47 years ago. It all took place in a switching center of the New York Telephone Company, located on 2nd Avenue at 13th Street in Manhattan. It was built in 1923, with additions made in 1929 and 30. As you can imagine, telephone technology back in 1975, when the fire occurred, was a far cry from the digital electronics we take for granted today. There was an estimated nine miles of cable connecting the massive equipment. Each of the cables were covered in lead and either polyethylene or polyvinyl chloride, known as PVC, which gave off toxic gases when burned. The fire began shortly after midnight in a cable vault located in the subcellar of the building. It was determined it was caused by a short circuit. The fire spread rapidly in a horizontal direction throughout the cellar, but the building was constructed in a way such that the cables traveling to upper floors passed through open shafts between levels, allowing the smoke and fire to progress vertically with equal speed. When the first FDNY units arrived, smoke had already permeated the entire building with the greatest buildup on the lower levels. Smoke became the key player in this tragedy. It was so bad that even members who were working outside of the building had to wear their breathing apparatus. And as the fire burned for so long, the cloud of smoke that was generated traveled throughout the neighborhood and as far away as Queens, where it is said that drivers on the Brooklyn Queens Expressway had to use their headlights the following day. Due to the difficulty in finding and reaching the seat of the fire, it took over one hour after arriving on the scene before firefighters finally got water on the flames. Five hours into the battle, the buildup of smoke and toxic gases led to an explosion that knocked firefighters off their feet. The fire that began shortly after midnight was elevated through multiple alarms, finally topping out at a fifth alarm with the legendary super pumper system being called into action. It was declared under control, though not fully extinguished, 16 hours later, at 4.46 p.m. Allow me to read a quote from an article about the telephone company fire that appeared in the first issue of WNYF in 1975. Quote, Before this fire would be declared under control, more than 16 hours later, over 700 firefighters from 72 units would operate at this blaze. In fact, at one point, over 300 firefighters were operating simultaneously. It should be noted here that although 1,050 mask cylinders were used, and despite the fact that personnel were being relieved on a regular basis, over 285 members were infected to the point of requiring medical attention. End quote. And that was just the start of it. The day after the fire, at a time when members rarely called in sick, 269 of them did. As time went on, Many of them began developing debilitating medical conditions. Once this was recognized, the FDNY medical officers began to track everyone that was present at the fire 
by marking their personnel card with a red star. It became known as the Red Star of Death. Ironically, that same issue of WNYF, whose front page was filled with a photograph of the telephone company fire, contained an article entitled, Smoke and Toxic Gases, Exposure Effects, by FDNY medical officer, Dr. Robert Rosenblum. This was an important event in FDNY history for numerous reasons. Not only did it have a direct effect within the department, it also fostered the promulgation of stricter fire codes in New York City to address many of the building's design factors that hampered the extinguishment of this blaze. A tip of the helmet goes to retired firefighter Dan Noonan from Ladder Company 3, who worked at that fire, suffers from cancer related to that exposure, and has been on a quest ever since to ensure that what happened there that day and the members of the FDNY that gave up their health and their lives as a result are not forgotten. A ceremony was held on the 45th anniversary of the fire at FDNY headquarters, which was attended by many of the firefighters that battled the blaze. And the Firebell Club of New York is working to have a commemorative plaque placed on the telephone company building. Just last month, in May of 2022, a tribute to the members that fought this fire and those who died as a result was unveiled at the New York City Fire Academy on Randall's Island. It serves as a reminder to all firefighters passing through the academy of the importance of keeping bunker gear clean and free of the contaminants that can cause cancer. And now it's time for our throwback FDNY trivia segment. In each new episode of our podcast, we like to test your knowledge of the department by asking a question about a fact from our previous show. Here's this month's. What was the household term used to describe the ambulances introduced in New York City in 1966? The answer can be found in our last episode. And remember, you can listen to that and all of our previous episodes by going to nycfiremuseum.org slash throwbackfdny. The Throwback FDNY podcast is brought to you with the help of the FDNY and the FDNY Foundation, the official philanthropic organization of the department. I'm Gary Urbanowitz. I'll leave you with this important safety tip. Be extremely careful with any items you own that are powered by lithium-ion batteries. That includes cell phones, laptop computers, and especially e-bikes and scooters. Keep these items away from flammable objects and do not charge them unattended overnight. Lithium-ion batteries have the potential of getting overheated and even bursting into flames and can cause a fire spreading throughout your home. For more information on lithium-ion battery safety, visit fdnysmart.org. We could all do our part to be a partner with the fire department by promoting fire safety. And until our next episode, thank you and be safe.